0: You know, one time somebody asked me, they said, Matt, you know, what, what, what do you like better? Do you like leading worship or do you like preaching better? And I told them, you know what, you, actually, to be honest with you, I said they're both the same thing. In both situations, I'm using a gift that God's given me to glorify His name. And so this morning, as we, as we go to the Word of God, as we study His Word and we take time in our day and we take time in our morning to stop and reflect on His Word, I want you to know that God is speaking through his word today. God is moving in this place today. And can we come with expectation to experience him in a new way? Instead of using our voices, we're going to use our intellect, and we're going to think a little bit about what he says to us and how that applies to our lives today. Well, once again, I just wanted to welcome everybody here this morning. Uh, For those of you who don't know, again, my name is Matt Jansen. That is Matthew Jonathan Jansen. Um... (laughs) Uh, A little bit about me. I grew up, I was a baller. I was a big-time basketball player. They used to say, Matt Jansen is all about Bibles and basketballs. And uh, I used to carry a basketball around with me everywhere I went at school. And I remember at night, I used to sleep with a basketball. And if it wasn't a Bible, it was a basketball. And I am no longer a baller. (laughs) I'm now a dad and a husband and a pastor and a radical follower of Jesus, as I always have. And so grateful, again, to have you all with us today. Uh, if you haven't been with us, I want to bring you up to speed. We're actually uh, closing out a sermon series this morning. So if you missed it, you might want to go back on YouTube and check it out. But we've been talking about since Easter. At Easter, of course, we, we, we talked about the resurrection of Christ, that Christ is, has resurrected and He's living in us. And so we thought what would be a good thing to do is continue on in that, that theme, in that vein, and talk about the idea of Christ in you. Christ in you. And and the sermon series has been called Jesus in my everything. And our text for the series has been Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, where Paul says, and I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation, for God wanted them to know that the riches of glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret, Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. In Colossians 1.27, uh, in the the New King James, it says this way, For God willed to make known to them what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love that idea. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we've been asking the question, what does it mean to have the resurrected Christ living in me, and how does this truth impact my life. What does it mean to have the resurrected Christ living in me? I mean, practically, what does that look like? How does that impact me? And we've been talking about a number of different topics. We started out by talking about this idea of everyday Jesus, that he's with you not only on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We we talked about the fact that he's with you every single day, and what we can expect from him is everyday joy, everyday endurance, everyday mercy, everyday grace, and everyday truth. And then we talked about Jesus in my relationships, and we talked about Jesus being the key to healthy relationships in our lives, when we can put him first. We talked about uh, Jesus in the impossible. Do you remember that one? Come on. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed, and it would be moved. How much faith do we have to have? Do we have to have great faith? No, we just have to have faith the size of a mustard seed because he does it for us. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then we talked about Jesus in my doubts. Pastor Mike did a spectacular job of speaking to us about this idea of Jesus in my doubts, that he is here for us uh, to help us to overcome our doubts and anxieties. We talked about Jesus in my joy last, a couple weeks ago. And today, as we close the series, I'm simply calling the message today, Jesus in my everything. Somebody say that. Jesus in my everything. Jesus in my everything, and as I was praying into this message this morning, I felt struck by something in my spirit, and I recognize that as we've been talking about these different subjects, we've been speaking to them through a certain lens, and it's a wonderful lens. It's the lens of grace, the lens of grace, and what we're told in the scriptures about Jesus, and especially in the book of John at the very beginning, is it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in John 1.14 it says this, And the Word became flesh and dealt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And so this morning, as we approach the Scriptures, and we approach this subject of Jesus in my everything, I felt convicted of the Holy Spirit that we would speak this morning from the perspective of truth from the perspective of truth. Now, we've spent the first few messages really focused in on grace. Now, Paul says we should do that. He tells Timothy, hey, listen, there's one thing you need to be strong in. It's be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's his divine enabling to do his will. I'm going to say that again because Tanya would say, Matt, you need to slow that down and say that again. I can hear her voice in my mind right now. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's the divine enabling to do His will. And we rely on the grace of God. We are saved by grace through faith and not of our own works. Amen? We are saved by His grace. It is His grace that will lead me home. That's from the song. That's not from the scriptures. His grace will lead me home, right? Amazing grace. We all know about that. But when Jesus came, He didn't only just come with just grace. But Jesus came with truth. He challenged us, and he challenged the people that followed him. And this morning, how we're going to approach this is I want to talk about three challenges that Jesus gave us. He came with grace and truth. John 1:17. for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then when we talk about the difference between grace and truth, when we talk about truth, we know that, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to get to the Father is through me. We know that in our hands here today, if you brought your scriptures, your Bible with you, we have truth in our hands. We have truth. And here's the thing about truth. When you have truth, but you don't have grace, you can have some problems. If you have truth without grace, it can lead to all sorts of pain sometimes. Hebrews 4.12 tells us this. The word of God, the truth of God, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the intents of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Pardon me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. So truth, without grace, can sometimes be like a heavy sword, an unwieldy sword. It's picked up and carried, and to the one who is uninitiated and maybe not strong enough to wield it, it can hack things up really good. It can cause all sorts of uh, a mess and problems, and, 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 and it, it, is, it, is, it is unwieldy, and it, is, it, it hacks indiscriminately. But truth, with grace, his divine enabling, his favor, is like a scalpel, that in the hands of the great physician, Skillfully cuts away the harmful elements of our lives. You see, when Jesus brings truth, it's meant to lead us to grace. When Jesus brings truth, it's meant to lead us back to Him. He makes these statements to us that are outlandish, that seem like there's no possible way we could live up to it. And you know why He does that? We need Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. We need Jesus to work in our hearts. What does it mean to live in an everyday Jesus life? What does it mean to live that way with Jesus in my everything? It means to hear his truth and respond to his grace. So I'm going to give you three truths today that Jesus shared with us, three challenges that he made, and we're going to challenge you as we close this sermon series today. Number one, Jesus gave us a challenge. It was the call to deny ourselves. The call to deny ourselves. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says this, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus laid it out there. Jesus put it out there and said, If you want to come after me, you can't just do your own thing all the time. You can't just be led by your feelings everywhere you go. But there is an element here that I am actually calling you not only to follow me, but I'm calling you to deny your own desires and your own wants. I'm calling you to deny the things that, uh, that might make you think that you need to do it your own way so that you can submit to my way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You know, one of the things that happened when I got married to my beautiful wife, Tanya, is I learned very, very quickly that I was going to have to learn to deny myself some things. You know, Matt, what are you doing? I'm watching the hockey game. Okay, but we, we need to we need to go because we've got this thing happening tonight, and, and, and you need to turn that off. Yeah, but hon, this is what I always do. I, I always watch the hockey game. Yeah, yeah, no, well, guess what? You need to turn that off because we have something else going on today. Okay, you know what I had to choose right there? Because of my love for Tanya, I'm going to deny myself. And I'm going to pick up my cross. (laughs) Okay, that's a little extreme. (laughs) And I'm going to go after that. Next example. That's a terrible example. But it does a trick. It does a trick. When you love somebody, you're willing to deny yourself. Okay? When you love somebody, when you know that their heart is for you, when you know that they've got your back, that they've got your best interest at heart, and can I tell you this, Jesus knows you. He's got your best interests at heart. He, we're told in the book of John that, that the reason that he came is because he loves us. And he's demonstrated his love for us by, uh, 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 in this, that he laid down his life for us. And so we can trust him. And we can know that if he calls us to deny ourselves, it's because there's a greater yes. I have a, a number of quotes today from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I, I was really intrigued by him this week, so you're going to get all Dietrich today, okay? And, and Dietrich says it this way, to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ, and no more of self. To see only him who goes before, and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is, he leads the way, keep close to him. I don't think I could say it any more eloquently than that. He leads the way, let us stay close to him. Jesus in my everything. Jesus in my everything. I think a great example of this is the example that you brought up earlier, Apostle Paul. You know, we're told about Paul that that he was born on the eighth day. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had his life all seemingly together. He He was passionate about what he was doing. He believed in it with all of his heart. And yet Paul says this in Philippians 3, 7, and 8. He says, For what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Denying yourself doesn't mean that you have to give up the better to get the just enough. Denying yourself means that you give up the just enough to get the better. In his name, is Jesus. Amen? Deny ourselves. Okay, here's the number two challenge. The requirement to grow in the knowledge of him. The requirement to grow in the knowledge of him. And this scripture that I'm about to read to you is one of the most bone-chilling scriptures I've read (laughs) that Jesus spoke about. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And this is what it says. You know, when you hear a passage like that, I think our initial human response to that is to say, okay, God, what more do I need to do? Because it's within us as humanity that we like to have control over things. I don't know about you, I like to have control over things. And so we like to read a passage like this and go, Okay, obviously I need to do better than that. I mean, you come on, what say? Many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, in your name, did we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? I don't know, church. I, I, when I look at this and I read this for myself, I'm thinking, man, I, I haven't cast out very many demons recently. I've been trying to prophesy, but it hasn't been flowing out of me all, all the time. And, and I'm not seeing many wonders in, my na- in the name of Jesus. What more do I need to do? But when you break down this passage, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, and, and, and they shall not, So, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Do the will of my Father in heaven. And I believe that the key to this passage is actually at the end, when Jesus tells what will happen to those who think that doing what they think they need to do for Jesus, what will happen? He says, I never knew you what do we need to do the will of the father and how do we know what the will of the father is well study his word we spend time in his presence and this is the key we allow ourselves to be authentically known by jesus we allow ourselves to be authentically known by Jesus. See, this is a hard truth, but remember, when you see a hard truth that Jesus shares, what is it meant to do? It's meant to drive us to him. Truth always turns us back to grace. Truth always turns us, ought to turn us back to grace. We must first know him and authentically be known by him. This is speaking not about actions or how you can work your way into the kingdom of God. This is speaking about the secret, which is relationship with Jesus. Do you know him? And have you allowed yourself to be known by him? Come on, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Take my yoke upon you, says the Lord. This is this idea Paul talks about, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Are you letting Jesus in to those dark areas in your life? Are you letting Jesus in to those areas where you're struggling or you're suffering today? Are you letting him in to the joy in your life? Are you including him when when things are going so well And you can't help but smile and turn to him and say, Jesus, thank you. Because every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow. Thank you. Do you know him? And have you allowed yourself to be known by him? This is a relationship, church. It's not a religion. It's not about how many, you know, ticks I can get on the the board or how many stickers I can get each week. You know, I was joking with somebody this morning. I am like, hey, you got here with five kids. That's amazing. You should get a sticker. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but what is Jesus after? He's after our hearts. That's what he's after. Would you give him your heart today? Have you given him your heart today? Because that's what he's after. These truths point us to grace. Now as we close, number three is the, the hard challenge, is the placement of God, or Jesus, as first in all things. My life's verse, Matthew six thirty three, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And I've shared this with you many times before, but I share it with you again. I used to think it meant that if I sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that would be the secret to life. I'll get all the things that I want. It's a formula. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Okay, Lamborghini. Seek first the kingdom of God. And I used to think that was the secret to life. I figured it out. I've got the formula. But it's not a formula. It's a person. And what I began to realize and understand is that the key is not in the things over here. The key is in the seeking first. This is where the the joy comes. This is where the fulfillment comes. This is where the hope comes for your life is when you are seeking him first. And then you can put all the things over here because it's about Jesus first. We see a story of this in in the book of of, Matthew. Matthew 19, 16 through 22. And it's a story of a man we call the rich young ruler. I'm going to read it to you. Matthew 19, verse 16. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there with me as we close today. Now, behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, Well, you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now let me ask you a question about that story we just read. Did Jesus need his money? In fact, he didn't ask for it, did he? It wasn't about the money, was it? It was about his heart. In Matthew 7, we're told that do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. God is after your heart. If we use the example, I think this is a wonderful example of this idea and how this really practically even works in our lives is this idea of money. Yeah, I'm going to go there. This idea of money you know, that, that oftentimes, especially in our, in our North American, Western culture, we put a lot of hope and trust in our money, in our investments. Can I just tell you again, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And so, I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it. Again, another nice Dietrich quote. He says, Be not anxious. Earthly possessions dazzle our eyes and delude us into thinking that, we can pro- that they can provide security freedom from anxiety yet all the time they are the very source of all anxiety isn't that true god doesn't need our money we at the church we 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 um, value giving and obviously we talk about that a lot but it's not even about the church needing our money your money i mean we could you know turn this into a business and we'll just make it into some consumer thing and you can just come and just hang out and be a part of this but that would be completely unloving to you and to me when you give sacrificially it's an opportunity to worship with something that costs you something. i'm reminded of the the woman with the alabaster jar of perfume who came and broke it anointed jesus and washed his feet And we're told that that was worth, you know, about a year's wage. And she gave it willingly, because that which was more costly was in front of her. His name is Jesus. Or David, you know, saying, having to make a a, a sacrifice and going to this, this area where God told him to build an altar, and the man that owned the area said, listen, I'll give you whatever you need to sacrifice. He says, no, I will buy it, because I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. We give to him because it's our joy. We give to him because he is worthy. And because we're telling our own spirit, God is more important to me. And I trust in him more than my riches and my finances. And so we give as an act of worship to God. Amen? 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I was talking to somebody this week, and they told me, do you know what that actually means? It means hilariously. Give. We give because he is worthy. Because he is the most valuable. Because he is the most high. Because he is the one that we rely on and believe in and, 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 and will provide for us and take care of us. Because he is our hope and our strength. Whenever God, whenever you read one of these truths that seems too hard for you in the scriptures, let it turn your heart towards Jesus. Let it turn your heart towards him that we could see Jesus in our everything. And so as we conclude, we ask the question, what does it mean to have the resurrected Christ living in me, and how does this truth impact my life? And the answer is, the call to see Jesus in my everything is not a call to add him into the elements of your life, but it's a call to allow him to consume every part of you. And I end with this quote today from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples, who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's, who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the very same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. I'm going to invite my beautiful wife, come and pray with us as we go. Such a challenging word this
1: morning. Good word. The truth, let it just drive you to Jesus. I want it to let, I want to let truth drive me to Jesus. That's our prayer and heart for you, church. That when we are digging into the Word of God, when we're learning and growing, that we are all together running after Him. Running after Him. We need you, Jesus. We need more of you. Don't we? We cannot do life on our own, we need death of our old ways, death of our old self, so that we can pursue him. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now for every single one of us, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you would stir in us such a desire and a hunger to pursue after you, to pursue pursue after the truth that we find in your word, Lord Jesus, your ways. Lord, we want to live after your ways, Lord Jesus. Father, we cannot do it on our own. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be a people that would stay dependent on you. Dependent on you and you alone, Lord God. I don't want to rely on my own strength. Because I know that that will fail me time and time and time again. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would rely on you and you alone, Lord Jesus. We may stumble, we may fall, but we will rise up and we will grab onto your hand and keep running running after you. Father, I pray that we would be challenged this morning to pursue you, to know you more. May we be a people passionate in our pursuit of you, Jesus. Passionate in running after you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you care for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are there for us. Thank you that you do not expect us to do this life on our own. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us your word. You've given us each other to run this race, and I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, may we be challenged this morning in our spirits to go harder after you, but it's not on our own, but with you, pursuing you, pursuing your presence in all things, putting you first, putting you where you belong in our everyday life, Lord Jesus. That is our heart. May we be that touch placing you at the forefront of Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and everything that our life encompasses, Lord Jesus, we're putting you first. That's our prayer. God, I pray that you would bless your people, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this people, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that as they go out, Lord Jesus, that they would experience you in their day-to-day life, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would keep us mindful of you. Go into our day tomorrow, Lord Jesus. It's not just Sunday. It's Jesus in our everyday, Lord Jesus. Help us to be mindful of that as we go into our week this week, Lord God. A people in pursuit of you and being mindful of you in our everyday life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.